And now, another cup of... The London Fog. And we're back. Welcome. Welcome. To the London Fog. I'm Kate. I'm Leah. And, and we're not drinking tea. And I'm so proud of us. I think that's like one of the first times that we like just jumped right in and said who we are. That's because last time... You, like, lectured me on air for, like, five minutes about how we never introduce ourselves, so I thought that I ought to. It's true. <laughs> but we also waited, like, 20 minutes to be like, oh, yeah, this is our podcast. <laughs> anyway, we're here. We've got not that much to say today, but a little bit. We've got loads to say. Okay. I love this topic. You know. <laughs> oh, this is the worst topic of all. Every time we talk about war and battles, I'm like, there are more stories and battle stories. There's so many great well, stories. Okay. They're like so, underdog stories. Here's what I realized my problem is. I'm ready. Is Tell me about your problems. That, <laughs> that when, I guess in my head when I think about it, I mostly am thinking, I'm thinking of like battles fought on British soil. I'm not necessarily thinking of like wars that they're, a part of yeah which i should have been thinking of yeah. because there are not many battles that have been fought on british soil not a single one since the 1700s yeah like so, you gotta go back in time yeah Some which like, i mean i did go way back to this time but i'm just saying in the future i just need to be like you gotta broaden your, what your mind are they involved in but i don't know but also the older ones i feel like have more like stories about them i don't know well they're just like historical stories i mean that's the whole reason i mean shakespeare has a whole segment of just the histories and most of them are about battles yeah i know it's my least favorite shakespeare oh, stories that's my favorite. <laughs> i hate them anyway so um sorry that i just said that yeah that was Actually, strong I'm anyway i'm not sorry i, take, I like the tempest i take nothing okay. back <laughs> That considered that's not a history. No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I don't like the history. I was about that's to say, definitely I'm like, Wait not a, second. a history. That would be there's true. like wizards in that you one. Know what? <laughs> we should probably do a special episode on Shakespeare. Oh, speaking of, put a pin in that. Just yeah. some, <laughs> just Ema, some good. Email us and tell us if you'd be interested in that. <laughs> yeah, just some good ideas. Okay, uh, well, let's jump into some royal news, shall we? Okay, so. Things that happened this week is, um, let's see, last time did we say the Sussexes are moving their household office to Buckingham Palace? No. Oh, what yeah. makes them so ritzy? Well, I mean, basically it's just, we already knew they were separating from, like, Will and Kate, because yeah. when it was just Harry, him having the same office as them was, like, yeah. not normal. So, they were separating, um, and I guess... Since they're not living in Kensington anymore, yeah, they don't necessarily have to have their offices there, so they're yeah. just going to Buckingham. But a rumor that Pinky I heard, up. a rumor. Well, I don't know. I kind of like Kensington better. Oh yeah, but know. anyway, it's a little cozier. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, but it's funny because a rumor that I heard was that they wanted to like, they felt like they were far enough removed from the throne that instead of like being still part of like 
the royal family offices that they yeah. could have their own like Sussex brand kind of thing where Ew. they're like doing yeah. totally doing their own thing and the queen wouldn't let them. <laughs> so it's her house. I, I mean. <laughs> well, no, so no, I mean, I think that's why they're at Buckingham Palace so she can like keep an eye on what they're oh. doing. <laughs> you young radicals, you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall are on their Caribbean tour. Or Caribbean. I had a lot more to say about oh. Harry and Meghan. Okay, keep going. <laughs> no, um, no, I was just going to say also that, um, what's their name? Their cousin Zara? Yeah. She yes. just, she had a new baby. Well, not really. I mean, I think the baby's like 10 months old. But they just christened the baby. And mm-hmm. Harry is godfather. Aww, so that just sweet. happened this last week. Um, and then also Harry and Meghan went to New Zealand house in London after the tragedy in Christchurch. They they went to pay their respects since they were the last, uh, members of the royal family to visit New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So they did that. And, um, the Cambridges haven't been up to too much lately. Uh, Duchess Kate is a patron of the... Um, British guards, and so she, you know, did her St. Patrick's Day thing with them that she always does. Wait, Uh, I don't know what that is. Oh, really? Well, basically just every St. Patrick's Day, there's a parade, and the 1st Battalion Irish Guards um, will do the parade, and so Kate always goes. She So William is a colonel in that regiment, and that was his first honorary army position, Mm -hmm. and the queen is actually the colonel-in-chief of the regiment, um, and so that's the uniform that um, William wore when they got married. Like, he could do oh, any okay. any battalion, any yeah. know, units, like dress robes or whatever they're called, dress mm, blues, yeah. but he wore the Irish Guards tunic for the royal wedding. Um, and so, so anyway, so they always go to the parade, and Kate always goes, and there's always a cute thing where so they always give Kate like a whole bunch of clovers together to pin on her outfit so so like yeah so they get all get like the fresh shamrocks and then um I don't really know what the point of them being there they just like go say hi to them because it's St. Patrick's Day I guess um but then also that um regiment has a mascot and his name is I never know how to say this this is such a British name Domnal Dom sure yeah and he is a uh, what kind of dog is he some sort of irish dog maybe you'll know take a look at him and this picture do you know what kind, oh, of, kind of he's a kind of spaniel he's probably an irish spaniel. <laughs> an irish spaniel. <laughs> i don't know so anyway and so like every year i mean he's wearing a cape in that picture yeah, so <laughs> he always has clovers pinned to his oh my collar. gosh and kate looks beautiful in her green yeah she looks so good in green she it's does like, this is always like the best looking event of the year i feel like for her because she's always head to toe in green yeah and there's always a cute picture of her petting the mascot with their clovers it's or sham- and it's like shamrocks. a nice emerald with like the velvet and then her dark hair and she's like not too fair but like still real yeah. light skin oh she looks good. she looks so good but yeah the queen used to always go um but she turned it over to kate i don't know a number of years ago so anyway that's what will and kate have been up to um kate also went on um 
went out with the queen, which I think, I don't know. I wonder if someone planned it because. Like a night out on the town? I don't know. I mean, they went, they had an official opening of like a new house for some college. But the reason that I think it's funny is because when Kate first was like married to Will, Mm -hmm. she did a lot of um, like official things with the queen. Yeah. Which is kind of like. I don't know. It's, like, a cool thing, I guess, for them to go do stuff with the queen. And she did a lot when they first got married. And then, like, Will and Kate kind of started doing their own thing. And they didn't do as many, like, she didn't do one-on-one events with the queen. Right. Well, lately, Megan, because she is new, mm-hmm. has now been doing a lot of events with the queen. Yeah. And there's all these, like, tabloids or whatever that are like, the queen likes Megan more because she's doing all... So kind of roll. Yeah, right? So it kind of makes me wonder if, like, that's why they did an event together again to be like, look, yeah. the queen just does events with whoever she wants. Like, yeah. you know, and this time Kate decided to go. Well, people just like to make drama. I yeah. mean, the tabloids and the newspapers and the media, they want something to sell. So they take like one thing and they just blow it out of proportion. Yeah. We all know this. But the queen looked amazing at this event. She was in head to toe pink uh, and just like looked It's like fabulous. a nice soft coral. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah, and she looks very healthy. I feel like pink makes her look healthier. I don't know. It adds a good glow. But I feel like if I were a member of the royal family, I don't necessarily know that I would want to do events with the queen because, like, anytime you're at an event with the queen, you have to wear a hat. Like, you know how they have to wear hats most of the time anyway, but sometimes when Kate goes to her own, like, casual patronages or whatever, she doesn't wear a hat. But if the queen's there, you have to wear a hat, which I hate wearing hats. Well, maybe you're not a hat person. I mean, but what happens? I don't know. It's kind of an exciting life. I I own one hat that I I would say is like a I'm going out to be seen hat. Two hats. I lied. (laughs) I made a hat recently. I know. <laughs> I saw the pictures. But the thing is... But you don't wear it. <laughs> well, yeah, because when do you wear a hat that fancy? When you go to tea. Yeah. You go to tea. Next time I go to tea, I am going to wear it. Okay. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. But the thing that I was thinking is I feel like for Kate, wearing a hat is probably more normal because, like... Well, first of all, she's a member of the royal family forever. Right. But even before that, she was British, so she would wear a hat to weddings and stuff. I feel like for Meghan, it must be very awkward because American women do not wear hats. Like, you don't wear hats to church. You don't wear hats to weddings. Like, some people rarely... Down here in the Bible Belt, have you ever been to the breakfast club after church on, like, a Sunday? Yeah, but she's from L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Gloves up to here. Big hats. So I just feel like it must be awkward for her, you know? I mean, like, it's definitely a change, but I don't know. I, I, For me, at least, if I had the excuse to go out and buy kind of weird one-time fancy hats that you only wear like that one time of year or for those one-time events, but you actually had an excuse, I don't know. I think I'd be into it. Hmm. All right. To each his own. Okay, can I go? Yeah, I was just updating you on the most important people in my life. (laughs) They mean the most. Um, Well, no, I'm really happy you did because really to just to see Kate in Emerald Green gives me so much joy. Yeah. I mean, she looks so good. Okay. (laughs) Uh, All I have is that the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall are in the Caribbean? Caribbean. How do you say it? Does it, it matter? It depends on if you're British or not. Oh, do they say one way or the other? I feel Caribbean? Like, I feel like they say Caribbean. I think so. That sounds 
Caribbean sounds real honky. Caribbean is how people in Florida say it. <laughs> oh, Florida. <laughs> they arrived from... We love Florida. I'm sorry, Florida <laughs> listeners. I'm um, just saying. That's probably how they say probably. it. Probably. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, a, I would think, an American... Yeah, it's the American way to say it. And now we have this, you know, but tomato, tomato. But if you're, tomato. like, American and you're in Connecticut, you're saying it the British way. Probably. You know? Yeah. <laughs> They uh, arrived on Thursday in St. Kitts, and uh, they will be going around for 12 days, just talking with school children, meeting ambassadors, visiting parts of the Commonwealth, you know. Uh, but Oh, something funny happened. Yeah, tell us. <laughs> but the funny thing about this article that I found, apparently Camila really likes the rum punch. Oh, really? Every time she goes around, there's another picture of her with another glass of rum punch. And they're all like, and there's Camilla enjoying her her rum punch. (laughs) And, I mean, she looks classy. They look great, let's be honest. But I also saw uh, that while he was out there, you know, he took like a little swim and took his shirt off. And then people were all like, woo, he's so hot for an old man. Yeah, okay. So the funny thing is, though, so I saw that. And people are like, oh, he's so hot. And so then I saw people comparing it to him as a young man. Yeah. As a young man, I mean, like, he was pretty scrawny. Like, I don't necessarily know that I would consider that, like, super hot. You know, like, the way people are like, oh, Prince Charles. Like, <laughs> oh. Well, okay, I'm going to take it back. He wasn't scrawny. I think, you know how fads come and they go. And right now we're all into this, like, big boob, big butt Lots of muscle, tiny waist. I feel like the 90s, you know, when he was, Mm -hmm. like, probably peak pinnacle condition, the Diana years, is when almost, like, skinnier, leaner, but with some muscle guys, like, that was the epitome of what was super hot. And women were, like, pretty real thin with limited curves and pretty high-waisted, you know, pants kind of a thing. I feel like it just has to go with, like, your fad. And I think for the 90s... I pretty sure plenty of people are all like he's smoking except for that smile (laughs) (laughs) them teeth definitely got some great ortho work Um, later in life (laughs) is that all you had to say about that tour yeah i have something funny to add okay so on the tour prince of wales met lionel richie because oh, yeah, Lionel Richie is going to be the first global ambassador of his Prince's Trust charity. And so when they were in Barbados, they talked about it. And, and when, when Charles, when Charles like gave his little speech to thank him for taking the role, yeah. he said, quote, it must have been you I was looking for. And Lionel Richie said, did he just say that? He just said that. <laughs> Anyways, no. there's video- oh, that's there's a ter- videos. That's like a dad joke. Yeah. There's videos of it on YouTube if you want to watch. It's just kind of funny. I'm like, really? Prince Charles, like, how long did it take to come up? How long did it take him to come up with that? Oh, like- probably a while. <laughs> so that's the best thing I heard from that tour. Love it. Well, should we like jump in? I feel like we should. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you Jump can in. tell by Leah's excitement that we're talking about the battles and the war stories How did this today. Ever even become one of our regular topics? Because I love it. I feel like this is my cup of tea. You must have suggested this one. Probably one thousand percent. And then on our like spreadsheet, when we put what are we talking about next, I just like go in there and I like add one in. And that way, when it pops up, you're like, dang it. 
How did I it's not see late. this? It's too late. It's already on the spreadsheet. How did I not see this coming? Um, okay, so my story is from the first English Civil Wars. So that happened okay. in... Those went from 1642 to 1651. And basically what happened was there was a conflict... Um, between Charles I and Parliament over an Irish insurrection. And then it was settled when with Oliver Cromwell's victory for the parliamentary forces. So I think we all kind of know a a little little bit bit about when that was. So this was the Battle of Edgehill. So it was the first um, pitched battle of the English Civil War. What is a pitched battle, you may ask? It's the lame kind of battle they used to do where um, they, they both choose, they choose their fighting location and the time it's going to start. Okay. And then they have, and each side has the option to just decide before the time if they don't want to fight. I changed my mind. Yeah. I came this distance. So it's not a chance encounter at all. Like... There's, it's not yeah. like it's because it's not like even when you have like a siege and somebody's there because you never get to pick this you like actually get to pick exactly what time you want your battle to start okay. which is kind of funny I think but do the same rules apply as like old proper British like fighting where two sides like meet they face each other and then it's all like it's your turn to shoot okay and then like the first row so. and I then think... the other side gets to shoot and it's just back and forth I never understood yeah. that Somebody one day, please, if you know why that was a thing, email us and please explain. Because I just still don't understand the rules of that engagement. <laughs> yeah, because it also says you have the option to disengage be- like shortly after it starts. So maybe after okay. like the other group starts and then you're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. You can just quit. <laughs> Enough men died today. <laughs> yeah, so it happened We're near out. Edge Hill which is why it's called the Battle of Edge Hill. <laughs> Edge Hill and Kinnaton in southern Warwickshire. Okay. It was October 23rd of 1642, which I've actually been to Warwickshire, so that's why I picked this. Nice. Um, so basically what happened was that the parliamentary troops were under the Earl of Essex and the royal troops were under the Earl of Forth. I've never heard of that, so I think that one's maybe gone out. Yeah. So, Charles I believed that the monarch should be able, which, of course, he believes this, this is him, um, to rule however he sees fit, including raising money for war or whatever reason. But the parliament believed that they had the right to approve or deny funds to the crown as they see fit. So, basically, Charles just wanted some money. So he, Don't we all. <laughs> so, Charles raises an army. He marches toward marches from Shrewsbury toward London with his army. So um, the Earl of Essex marches out from London to meet him, and their main his main task was to make sure the king did not reach the capital. Why the king wasn't already at the capital, we don't know. Okay. I'm uh, like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, That's fine. I would assume he would have been there, but maybe Parliament was meeting and he was just at one of his castles. Right. So they meet near Edgehill. So the armies were each about the same size. They were each about 14,500 men. So um, they started fighting. The Royal Cavalry pushed back the parliamentary army 
but the royal troops were still badly hurt. They fought for three hours of hard fighting, and no, neither side was ab able to make any headway. And then as darkness descended, they decided that they would stop because it was getting dark. You I'm know. hungry. I'm tired. My latest Netflix episode just loaded yeah. up. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so yeah, it got dark. Essex, who was on the parliamentary side, decided that he, oh wait, yeah, he decided that his army was too badly damaged to resume fighting, because otherwise they would start when it got light yeah. out again. So in the dark of night, he brings his man back to Warwick, which leaves the road to London open to Charles's army. Uh -oh. So technically, um, <laughs> Charles kind of won. Nobody really won, but he won because he was trying to get to London and now the road was open. Yeah. However... He, I would see that as winning. Yeah. He was too cautious and he didn't take advantage of that opportunity. I don't know if he like just didn't trust that it was really open or what. He slept in. Yeah. <laughs> so at that... So by the time his troops reached Reading, which... I don't actually know how far away that is from London, but having passed it many times on the train, it's fairly close. Yeah. Because <laughs> every time I take the train out of London, I pass it. Right. Um, and so by the time he reaches Reading, Essex has regained London, gotten a fresh force, force of men, and they're able to prevent Charles. London just has a plethora of guys right? willing to die. <laughs> and they're able to prevent Charles from making it into London. So I don't know. It's It was like... Pretty incon inconclusive. Um, yeah. <laughs> nothing really happened, which is why it's kind of funny that I picked it. <laughs> so after that, I guess it just disbands and does just Charles walk right back into London and it's all like, well, no. guess I didn't so get any I money. Guess, so he never really, like, so he doesn't get in. Um, they, basically what happens is that they that's why this war lasted for four years because they okay. kept having like little battles where no one would win <laughs> and Aww. then they would just like give up so take a break yeah i think what they they decided in the end so the king withdraws and he goes to oxford so basically okay. during this war the king is like in the oxford area and then the parliamentary people are in london um so he was in oxford for the rest of the war both sides were pretty much evenly matched for the entire war. So they say, I mean, you know, I'll just keep going right. since this battle story was so short. <laughs> um, they say that the reason that the royalists lost mm -hmm. in general was because their cavalry lacked discipline. So, like, you know, like... Blaming the horses. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like, normally... Um, you it's like the cavalry like fights together or whatever yeah. and then after they've like chased off the people they pull back together yeah but the royalist cavalry would gallop after the army as they fleed i guess to like taunt them to be like ha, -ha. and then instead of getting back to rally to attack again they would sometimes like break ranks to go like plunder <laughs> oh good <laughs> yeah so um so anyway that's yeah, that's kind of why they were they were bad. Why basically, they lost. yeah, basically they just the king was bad at leading them. The people were bad at leading them. Um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, 
So that's all. <laughs> There's there one kind of funny story from this story. I'll keep going because that's okay, right? Sure, yeah, There's yeah, yeah. There's this guy named William Hasland, and he's um he was a British soldier who fought in that first war of the um British Civil War or of the English Civil War, but later, so because that was in like 1642. Later, he also fought at the age of 89 in 1709, the Battle of Malcaplet, which I don't, that was part of the War of Spanish Succession. Oh. Um, like way 89 later. Years old. Yeah, he was the very last survivor of the English Civil Wars, and he lived until he was 111 years old and 185 days. Yeah. Oh. Whoa. Um, also. That's old. Even for now. No, this is actually kind of funny. Also, so like when he started being a soldier, he was 13, right? Um, and he, so, you know, that, that war that he thought fought in later in his life had both the oldest and youngest men on the field because in addition to him being the oldest, one of the privates fighting like their carried his three-week-old son as a baby in the battle in a knapsack. Um, what? Yeah. yeah. But the other thing that's funny is, like, so he was, like, um, in the army. Can't take a three-week-old three baby to a battlefield? Yeah, that I, is bad parenting right there. It really is. Um, it's what? stories like this that make me think, I'm going to be an amazing mother. <laughs> I have got my shit figured out. I know not to put a baby in a potato sack and put it on my back. But anyway, so oh. since this guy was fighting for the British from the age of 13 until the age of 89, he he attained the rank of surgeon and he became like a, pens- a pensioner, which is just when they like, you know, you, you uh, I guess you stay at the Royal Hospital of Chelsea. It's a retirement home for former members of the British Army mm. and they just take care of you. But... He gave up his spot because he got married at the age of 103. Wait, why? Why? Okay, so from I mean, that's exciting. So 103 to but... 111, he was married, so he couldn't, because you that's for, like, single guys. From 103 help. to? 111, he was married to this woman who Gosh. was, like, in her 80s or something, and then he died. So he was still buried at the Royal Hospital oh, in Chelsea, my... which is where he had been a pensioner, but... It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So. Old dudes. I know, right? Well, my story has an old dude in it. <laughs> okay, yeah. My story kind of went every which way, but. That's good. We're done. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point. Because I feel like this one isn't a specific, like, battle per se, but it's just, like, a war story. So, back to World War Two, because there's so much shit going on around that time. Yeah. Um, we're in South Africa. Even up to World War II. We were back to, in the 1600s. Oh, good point. <laughs> up to World War II. We are in South Africa. And I chose it because I've been there. No, actually I chose it because of a different part of this story, which I like my story so much. Um, so we're in South Africa. At the time, there was naval service, but not really. So a navy had been developed at one point. It was mostly just um, volunteer reserve, and it totaled about 400 
um, South Afrikaans people. And uh, the naval base is in Simonstown, which is about mm, 20 miles outside of Cape Town. Um, so in January of 1940, the World War II is going strong. There's definitely been, you know, declarations throughout the world of which side you're on. The uh, British uh, Army or Navy is in South Africa. Uh, they arrive, but see that there is nothing really of a Navy developed there. So they get Guy Halifax, who is a rear admiral and who had retired to South Africa from Britain to come and manage a new force, which they are calling the Seaward Defense Force. This unit was responsible for operating minesweepers and anti-submarine ships that could be trying to cross on the lower part of the African Channel to get over into Europe, higher up on the continent, or to swoop into places like India from a different direction. Uh, So, they're developing this defense force, (laughs) and... Men go out every day. They're checking to see if they can find any uh, submarines from Germany in the water. And it ends up being pretty desolate because at this time, Simonstown wasn't like hugely developed. It's South Africa. There's not tons of British people there at that time. So after a while, the guys really start getting worn down, the, the sailors. And one day... Man, this story's good. One day, (laughs) this dog just wanders into their naval base. And they eat him. No, that's awful. He's a great dame. They're a hungry sailor, I'm just saying. They're not hungry. (laughs) They're just bored and and worn down from from the tragedies of war. (laughs) Okay, okay. So, this dog wanders into the British naval base. He's a great dane. He's, if he stands up on his hind legs, he is six feet, six inches long. He's a huge dog. Anyway, he wanders in. The guys kind of take a liking to him a little bit. And nobody seems to be upset that he's there. So they just kind of let him stay. And over the next course of the next few months, he kind of almost becomes like the base's like mascot. So everybody loves the dog. That's kind of weird. I would think that a Great Dane doesn't seem like like the kind of dog that's like stray on the street, right? I don't. I don't know. They said literally no one really knows how he got to the naval base, other than the fact that he just showed up there one day with nowhere else to go. And obviously, I mean, if you have a whole bunch of like bored teenage boys and like young men that yeah going through things your dog's probably your next best friend so they keep feeding him and playing with him i mean why would you then leave you know yeah. if you're a dog? so so he gets the name of nuisance <laughs> because he has a terrible ha- habit of lying down in the narrow bridge passages leading between the ships and the docks they say relatively that is six feet in itself, and he's six foot six, so he would <laughs> just like be barely tipping off on each side, so everybody would have to step over him, aka nuisance. <laughs> so he becomes so popular that the guys, when they get you know 
off time, they go into Cape Town and they decide, well, nuisance should come with them, obviously. So they take the dog onto the train. They're going downtown, going to have a good time. But of course, South African train conductor guys come walking up and down and you have an animal that's six foot six. I mean, that's a giant person or two smallish people, you know, and they're going, uh, you can't have this animal on here. And people come up and say, well, no, 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 no. He's our, he's, he's our dog. He's the mascot. They kick him off multiple times and the dog will just run next to the train, follow the guys into town. (laughs) Uh, but they keep sneaking every time they come back and forth, they keep trying to sneak nuisance back onto the train. And pretty much every time he's caught, how I could mean, he how not? can you hide that dog? Yeah. <laughs> so it gets so bad after a handful of months that they say, if you bring the dog back on the train, we're going to take it and we're going to put it down. Animals aren't allowed on the train. No one's paying for it. Even when they offered to say, hey, we'll start paying for the dog. They said, no, it's a dog. He doesn't belong on the train. Can't have him. And so... The guys are, like, really upset. And, I mean, it's the middle of World War II. Spirits are pretty damn low. So they go back to the base and, of course, go back to Guy Halifax, Rear Admiral. And it's all like, this really freaking sucks. Like, the one, like, joy that we kind of have in life right now is can't come with us. And so what does Guy Halifax do? Nuisance was the only dog ever to be officially enlisted into the Royal Navy. (laughs) So (laughs) they decide that if you can't beat him, they'll figure out another way to beat him. (laughs) (laughs) They um, enlist Nuisance on August 25th, 1939. His surname was entered as Nuisance, and rather than leaving his forename blanked, blank they just named him just so his name is just nuisance (laughs) uh his trade on on his sheet because obviously he was enlisted he had to have a trade they listed it as bone crusher and his religious affiliation was scavenger (laughs) um although later after the years after this story kind of becomes known it's changed to Canine Divinity League. Um, <laughs> what you gonna do? So, what this allowed for the dog, because pretty much all of the sailors were giving them part of their rations to feed him. Mm-hmm. They were also then having to sneak him onto trains. He not only now as being in the Navy, he received his own rations. He received his own bed because <laughs> they said it was wrong that he kept sleeping with the, the sailors uh, and that he was, quote, written up for not sleeping in his right places. <laughs> um, he also got to ride the train for free because he was considered a sailor and a soldier during World War II. <laughs> so but what happened to him after the war? Well, I'm getting there. Oh, no. You look sad. A little bit. So, at some point, uh, he was involved in a car accident, though they're not really sure how or when, but it's obvious that he got hit on probably his hind legs, and because of this, it 
started some thrombus in his lower back legs, which through gradually through the years, it paralyzed him. And so on January 1st of 1944, he was discharged from the Navy. And, but after that, his condition kind of continued to deteriorate. And on April 1st, 1944, he was taken to the Simonstown Naval Hospital because he still had his benefits and rights, having served in the war and being a part of the Navy, that he was able to go and get medical service from the hospital. But at that time, they had a naval veterinary surgeon come in and look him over and just kind of said, he's got no way to really live. And so he was put down on April 1st, Mm -hmm. 1944. But to this day, uh, he has a statue in Simonstown, the Cape Province, positioning, looking over the harbor, really close by the places where he would just lay in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) And be in everybody's way. And yeah, that's my story. We have the able seaman, just nuisance. <laughs> I love his name. Uh, yeah, so a little different story, but I found that kind of because I was looking for like a heartwarming story. I thought that was so sweet. Yeah, that's a cute story. So a little happy ending there, guys. Not always do the war and the battle ones have to be sad or who won or lost. Everybody won because nuisance joined the Navy. I feel like that could be a book, like a children's book. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be cute. It would be cute. We should write it. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Copyright that before somebody else does it. I bet somebody's written that. I know, yeah. probably. <laughs> and there was nuisance. We're not the first ones to think that would be cute. <laughs> okay, well... I guess that's another wrap-up, another cup for us. Yeah, do we have anything else? Mm. Life is going good on my end. Okay, yeah, so that's it. (laughs) Send us some emails because we desperately need ideas. It's true. Well, I don't know if we desperately need. Leah just doesn't want to do another battle. Yeah, so we desperately (laughs) need ideas. Too soon. (laughs) But we will be back with another cup next week. Yep. And we'll be listening. We'll be hearing from you soon. How do we wrap that? <laughs> we don't know. We'll figure it out by next week. Cheers. We'll figure out a better ending next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. <laughs>